0: It was United States President Herbert Hoover who presided over the emerging Great Depression who coined or popularized the phrase rugged individualism. It derived from the concept of individualism. Rugged individualism is a term that indicates the ideal whereby an individual is totally self-reliant and independent from outside, usually uh, some kind of government assistance. The practice or the advocacy of individualism in social and economic relations, emphasizing personal liberty and dependence or rather independence, self-reliance, resourcefulness, and self-direction of the individual, and free competition in enterprise. You may have heard the phrase used in recent politics. It would have been used by most likely a Republican, who believes that the government should stay out of people's personal business. Let a man run his life and let a man work hard and keep the assets of his work rather than giving it all away. Rugged individualism is a defining trait, a defining characteristic of American patriotism in the eyes of many. Just leave me alone. Let me work hard and let me make it on my own. And don't take from me that which I work so hard to get. Regardless of what one thinks, the concept of rugged individualism permeates our American society for the most part. Not to be sure, there are some who would rather have government take care of them. But at the end of the day, most people have this innate, they have this thing inside of them, even as a very, very small child, to want to do it themselves. It's just the way we are. There's nothing that strikes at this core value more than the call of God on the lives of his people. The Sermon on the Mount is, in fact, the instruction manual for how to succeed as a disciple of Jesus Christ. If you want to know the minimalist, the minimum that you would need to do in order to be found faithful by Jesus Christ and thus be rewarded with the most outstanding benefits of his kingdom, then you need read nothing else than the Sermon on the Mount. As we begin an intense look at this uh, sermon, it begins with what are will call the Beatitudes or the, the blessings. As Jesus began teaching his disciples, he lists what are considered the, the blessed state of disciples. Notice what made his list. If we were assigning uh, the top 10 uh, traits, Of the kingdom these would be among them when someone says or if you hear someone say defining traits you're talking about those absolute essential qualities or attributes necessary in order for a thing to be a thing that is in order for an apple to be an apple there are defining traits There are things that are absolute essential to what an apple is in order for you to call it an apple. And if it does not have one or any or all of these minimal defining traits, then it is not an apple. An apple has a core. It has a skin. It has a flesh is shaped a certain way it has a certain color those are essential defining traits of an apple now after you cut it up to eat it and consume it you may take some of those defining traits away from it but it still has certain taste certain texture it has certain values those are the defining traits of what an apple is if it's not If it's absent some of those defining traits, then it's not an apple. It could be a pear or a peach or something else, but it's not an apple. So if we talk about the defining traits of a disciple of Jesus Christ, that is one who will find God's approval in his life, then you're talking about essentially the Beatitudes. These are The defining traits of a disciple, a follower of Jesus Christ. Notice, blessed are the poor. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Blessed are you when others revile you, persecute you, and utter all kinds of evil against you. Falsely on my account. These are considered the defining traits of what a disciple is in order to find approval by God. Any one or all of these characteristics will land you in favor with Jesus Christ when his kingdom comes. Now I call this kingdom folk. What kinds of people will actually be the leaders of the kingdom of Christ or the sovereign administration of God that is going to come to this earth in the person and work of Jesus Christ? These characteristics are descriptions defy what we many of us consider important in terms of how we live our lives and what we do poor blessed are the poor Luke Luke says blessed are the poor Matthew says poor in spirit but those who are destitute of the world's things those who are mourning because of the lack of what this world offers or disappointed at what the world offers the meek uh, those that are described by the world as be, not just humble but downtrodden, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, that is, to have a world where righteousness is the model and example of the day, the merciful, pure in heart, the peacemaker, persecuted for doing what God says one should do. These are the kinds of characteristics of the people that God finds pleasure with and who can and will be the leaders in the kingdom of God. Uh, Rejoice, he says, and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. Now, to live these kinds of lifestyles will result in you being rewarded with heaven as your reward now we're talking about rewards here we're not talking about salvation we're not talking about how you get it we're talking about what you do once you have it and Jesus says that you should rejoice and be glad now even though the world does not rejoice and certainly are not glad about you being in it. But you are to rejoice now because you know that by following Christ's dictates, heaven is ultimately, or the rewards will ultimately be yours. Now, I can say to you, according to the world's or the American way, these people are considered weak people, Uh, doormats, uh, sissies. These people constantly allow themselves to be run over, used, and abused. And most people would find them objectionable. They are weak. Uh, mealy mouth. They are, they won't take up for themselves. They don't defend themselves. They allow themselves to be uh, run over, uh, quote unquote. There's a word uh, that I bet you, you probably have never heard. It's called pulselaneous. Uh pusillanimous is a word that the world would really use to describe Christians who act like what Jesus is describing. Pusillanimous, it's even hard to pronounce, it's P-U-S-I-L-L-A-N-I-M-O-U-S, P-U-S-I-L-L-A-N-I-M-O-U-S, Pusillanimous. The word means lacking strength and firmness of mind. It means wanting in courage and fortitude, being of weak courage, faint hearted, cowardly. This is really kind of the way the world looks at a lot of Christians who seek to be what Christ has called us to be. They see us as weak cowardly lacking courage uh weak uh no firmness we don't stand up for ourselves we don't demand the world respect us and because we don't do that they see us as weak Uh, they see us as the opposite of what they want to be because in this world It's about being strong. It's about defending. It's about attacking those who attack you. It's about uh, not turning the other cheek, but pulling a gun. The world does not see us as the object of God's pleasure because they don't value meekness. They, They don't value mercy unless they want it or needed, They don't value peacemakers, people who try to calm the situation down. They, they will see you as part of the problem rather than part of the solution if you're not fighting and demanding your rights and your privileges and doing the things that you believe that you deserve because of who or what you are or what you have experienced or where you've been. Notice how Jesus is giving characteristics of people that he says heaven is proud of them, and yet in every way conceivable in a majority of people's lives, these are not the kinds of characteristics that most people value or want to put up with. I remember one of the first times I learned a valuable lesson. I was in the ninth grade, and I had just uh, finished the. Uh, we had finished the football season. It was in the spring, after basketball and track. They have, they would have a the an athletic banquet at the high school, and the the ninth graders through the uh, 12th grade, because in my school, ninth through 12th was all together, uh, they would have this banquet and they would honor the athletes' basketball, football track who had done uh, something outstanding for the year. And so I went to my first banquet. It was my first. I had never been to a banquet before um, and I didn't really know what to expect. And so I went and I sat At a table with some of the junior and senior athletes and of course they were rowdy and they were um, keeping up a lot of uh, noise as awards were given out to different uh, boys and girls for their athletic prowess Uh, as the banquet was going on and as people were being awarded um, some of the guys at the table that I was seated at when they would call out a name a couple of them a couple of them would go to rise as if they were the person whose name had been called and so at the table they, there were three or four guys who did it and people would laugh and you know they'd joke about it and so I didn't because I didn't know um, so I did it they they called out a guy's name, and so I went to rise like it was me, and you know the guys at the table, you know they just kind of looked at it. They didn't they didn't really laugh very much about it, and it kind of went on through the through the evening. The next day, um, we were in what would be considered off season, where you you doing the time when we normally would either go out to practice or whatever. We would go to the to the gym or run sprints or exercise in the gym in order to get fit for the coming season before school was out so the next day when I went to uh, the locker room um, one of the coaches called called me and wanted me to come in the office now the particular coach now I'm a ninth grader this is my first year I'm still really kind of getting to know everyone this coach was known to be a rather tough and uh, mean kind of a mean person and he was particularly well known for, uh, paddling, um, students. Um, and of course, back then in those days, they used a wood paddle and you would have to bend over and they would whack you across your bottom, uh, whatever number of times they thought justified by whatever you had done. And so when he, he came out and he called me in, Everybody knew when he called you in, it's usually because you had done something wrong and that you were going to get a paddling. And so I went in the office, he shut the door and he said to me, it has come to my attention that you were uh, being disruptive and disturbing last night at the banquet and that you were um, receiving undue attention to yourself or something like that. And at first I didn't know what he was talking about. I didn't have a clue. Um, and he, he finally explained it in a way that I understood what he was talking about. He was talking about, uh, attempting to stand up when a name was called as if you were that person when in reality, you were not. And so he, he told me that that was wrong. That was bad. And that he was going to give me three licks, um, as punishment for what I had done. Well, I was blown away um, about it because number one, um, I didn't start it. I was not the only one who who did it and I hadn't, I don't know how he heard about it. Later, of course, I realized that those guys being upperclassmen um, saw me as kind of an upstart and figured they would, you get, get back at me and, tell this coach that i had done this in order for him because they knew what he would do and so they were all kind of huddled watching and waiting for me to come out to see if i was crying now this coach had the reputation that when he gave someone licks across the bottom they cried and he would try to hit you as hard as he could to make sure you did cry and so it was well known that he did that And so they were kind of looking and waiting for me to come out so that they could see me crying or having cried. And I guess that would have made their day. Well, when the coach told me that, and then he told me what he was going to do, I said to him, sir, I meant no disrespect. We were at the table. They were all kind of doing it and kind of having fun. And I did it once. I didn't mean any disrespect by it. We were just having fun. And if I had done, if this was wrong, then I certainly deserved whatever punishment that he thought was right, and so because of the way I said it, I could see on his face that it kind of changed his demeanor. Um, he he first he was kind of abrasive about it, but then he actually kind of mellowed, and he wasn't you know quite as you know vitriolic and and hostile about it. And I told him, I, and I promised him, well, it'll never happen again. I can assure you of that. Um, and whatever you thought, whatever he deemed necessary for, for me, would, I would be fine. And so he said he's going to give me three licks. And so I did. I, I, I raised my jacket. I turned around, and I, I bent over. He got up from his desk. He came around, and he did, in fact, hit me three times. But it wasn't nearly as hard as it could have been, and it certainly wasn't his normal um, way in which he would, he would do it. And so he, he did the three legs. And then he told me, listen, um, not everybody that you think is your friend is your friend. And I, I just kind of took that as one of the first lessons that I really remember learning about people that even though they were really the ones doing it, they were the ones who were, um, who started it and they were the upperclassmen that they in fact used me as the foil and they were attempting to try to get me punished for what they had done though they never said that they were guilty themselves but because of the way I handled it in talking to the coach it removed um his first abrasive attempt and actually uh broke uh, to uh turn in my favor i never i never forgot that in fact here i am 60 plus years old and i still remember it because it was a valuable lesson that the world does not treat christians the way we think we should be treated and that they are always looking at us as weak as um um Arselanemius, as I said, um, they look at us as lacking strength and firmness of mind, wanting in courage and fortitude, being weak uh, of courage, faint-hearted and cowardly. And yet, God will always look out and protect His people. You just remember that we are kingdom folk. We are not like the world. We don't demand. To have our way we it's not that we're weak it's not that we are cowardly we are in fact very courageous but we live the humble quiet life of disciples of jesus christ allowing the world to see us and to treat us as they deem necessary because of the reward that we're going for listen If you're living for this world, if the only thing that's important to you is this world and how you are perceived and whether it likes you and whether you're having all of the stuff of this world, if you are a person that feels that you have a right to the the materials of this world and that the world is obligated to give it to you, then you're going to be in there fighting, demanding, reaching and grabbing Any and everything you can get because that's what you see as most important for you. But I say to you, my friend, this world is fleeting. It's passing away. It lasts so short. I mean, you're here and you're gone. Believe me. Don't get caught up in this world. In the Gospel of Matthew, you're going to read two phrases. You're going to see kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven now Matthew uses these words and they don't mean the same even though scholars say they do really they don't there's a subtle difference the kingdom of God refers to the rule of God the administration the sovereign administration of God it's that time when God's gonna be in control he's in authority And he says what happens and what doesn't happen and punishes those who break the rules. That's the rule of God, that his administration, the kingdom of heaven refers to the rules. What are the rules of the game? So the rule of God has rules that we must obey. That's the difference: rule versus the rules that one must live by in order to win approval, to win a seat at the table of the kingdom of God. These are the rules. If you want to be a person that receives God's highest honors in his coming kingdom, you will need to be kingdom folk. People that the world deem insignificant, weak, Um, people who don't have a lot on the ball as far as the world is concerned, people who allow themselves to be treated like doormats, run over, abused, heckled, whatever word you want to use. This is how you live if you want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ who is ultimately rewarded with the highest honors in the kingdom of God, the sovereign administration. If you want to be celebrated, if you want to be exalted, if you want to be honored, seek to obtain those things from God in his coming kingdom. I know, ladies and gentlemen, I I know that the world pushes us to receive these things from this world. People are constantly wanting you to join in with them to fight for the stuff of this world but I'm telling you with the sincerity of my own heart that if that's what you want and that's what you're after in this world, you are going to be so disappointed in the world that is coming for when it really, really, really matters. You won't receive commendation exaltation and honoration from the Lord God almighty. I pray for you that you will fight, that you will resist, that you will do all that is in your power to not fall victim to the false platitudes of this world. Father in heaven, I pray for every man, every woman, every boy and every girl who may hear this message that they would resolve in their hearts not to be a friend of this world and not to go along with the crowd because as soon as they have opportunity, they're going to turn against us. They will call us friend as long as they're getting what they want but as soon as we call for the righteousness of God, they will turn on us and tear us to pieces. I pray for my brothers and sisters that they would be strong, strong in weakness as the world sees it, strong in dedication, strong, not to strike back, but to be humble, meek, gentle people, that reflect the honor and glory and power of god for your glory and for their ultimate benefit in the kingdom of god amen